it's been very, very rewarding to know that what I make now is on my own terms and I don't have to succumb to things that make me feel small. This is Right Here, Right Now, a podcast brought to you by Vocal, an online platform for creators of all kinds and all levels of experience. It's a place to post, to read, to be inspired. I'm your host, Erica Wagner. This season, we'll hear eight essays all posted to Vocal by independent creators. Afterwards, we get to hear from the creators themselves about what inspired them, what they're working on, and what keeps them going. If you have any questions that linger after the episode, head to vocal.media to leave a comment for the authors right on their essay. Who knows? You might be inspired to write something yourself. Here's Right Here, Right Now. Taking the leap from what we know into that which we don't is a frightening prospect. That's what makes this next piece so tantalizing. In Why I'm Never Working a 9-to-5 Job Again, R.J. Wade takes us through her decision to work as a creative full-time. After the essay, we'll hear more from R.J. herself about just what that transition has looked like. Why I'm Never Working a 9-to-5 Job Again I go through a cycle almost every year. I get a job that seems great, good potential for advancement, swell benefits, and whatever else people tell you to care about. I fit myself into the mold and abide by the rules. Yet eventually, I can't help but realize how much time I'm spending at work. Someone else dictates what I do with my day. I lose my night to exhaustion. My brain starts to run wild with accusations of wasting my youth or sacrificing my mental health for a paycheck. Usually, bosses who know the perfect cocktail of humiliation and praise send me over the edge, and I quit. Quitting is satisfying. I convince myself I can make my own money. I've got grit. I see YouTubers do it all the time. So it goes until options dry up and savings are spent. Time to get another job. In between... I always wrote. I've written for pennies for years. Until I won a vocal challenge. Six, to be exact. There is a ceiling between what you think you're capable of and what you are capable of. Winning each challenge pokes a hole in that ceiling. Little bits of light break through, and I can see clearer and clearer what the future holds. Who am I to deny myself the chance to have everything I've ever wanted? Who am I not to pursue it with everything I have. Pursue one great decisive aim with force and determination. Carl von Clausewitz. So how can I write for a living? You'd think the answer lies in marketing secrets or SEO genius. I'm a follower of something different. What I'm chasing is the chance to contribute something to the world. I can't receive it in dollar bills, but those are nice too. When you have a dream that you can't let go of, trust your instincts and pursue it. But remember, real dreams take work. They take patience, and sometimes they require you to dig down very deep. Be sure you're willing to do that. Harvey McKay In this new year, with this clean slate, I want to eliminate what makes me feel small 
and I want to pursue writing with all I have. I'm no longer working a job that's going to reinforce the negative messages of the masses because it is possible to make it as a creative and somehow I'm going to make it. Defeating Demons Comparison I can't help but feel envious when a creator reaches the top page week after week. I'm familiar with the heat that rises in your core when you believe you deserve someone else's success. You decide why it should have been you or that it's a case of playing favorites. Surely there is some conspiracy to promote this writer and to keep you in the shadows. We all have goals. We want to matter. We want to be important. We want to have freedom and power to pursue our creative work. We want respect from our peers and recognition for our accomplishments. Not out of vanity or selfishness, but of an earnest desire to fulfill our personal potential. Ryan Holiday. It's an easier pill to swallow than their article had more pill. It could be a different reason entirely for why they are finding what you wish to. Sometimes luck smiles on people who don't deserve it, and other times, you're overthinking it. Regardless of the reason, for the new year, I'm done with the comparison trap. To be the best I can be, I can't let comparison eat away at my confidence and consume my mind. The antidote is gratitude, being thankful for what I have and where I'm at. I need to trust the process. Oh, and maybe don't check the front page every 30 minutes obsessively. Anxiety. Comparison and anxiety team up regularly to kick my ass. I thought I would get used to sharing myself with the world, but it's a terrifying experience every time. Something about real people reading my work and having an opinion on it gets my heart racing. I want you to like me. It's unhealthy. Anxiety on its own makes my chest ache, keeping me disoriented and foggy. It makes me feel like a passenger in my own body and a spectator to what I do. I've learned two semi-cures for my anxiousness. One, meditation. Two, boxing training. Both methods help me find a way to release my pent-up energy, but I have only a novice understanding of them. I'd like to improve my meditation practice by learning transcendental meditation. I've heard several entrepreneurs recommend it as a cure for overwhelm. Boxing training is a multifaceted mental and physical health approach. I get to release my negative energy and use it for something good. I plan to build upon my skills and start to spar later in the year. I want to eventually compete as well. I find that implementing challenges to overcome in my life helps build up my self-belief. Believe it to achieve it. It provides a real-world example of my willingness to learn and improve. I can see the results play from week to week. Boxing lays out a path that I can relate to writing. If I practice my jab for an hour one day and don't do it the next, I do little for myself. But if I practice my jab for 10 minutes every day, I will see a change. I will see a change. If I continue to be dedicated in my writing pursuit, putting out a few articles a week, I will start to see a change. And I have. Each article is a little money seed. Each one has the chance to grow. With the right combination of sun and water, 
it may turn huge and fruitful for years to come. Improving as a writer. I've always let an unspoken force write for me. I get an idea, sit down to write, and see what comes out. It's rarely good the first time, but there's writing on the page at least. I know how to improve my writing in the way of grammar and syntax. I can find those tips in a book. What I can't find is how to hone that unspoken force. How can I continue to refine that creative element that seems so intangible and mysterious? To me, it boils down to an old-fashioned game of good cop, bad cop. Creativity can't be stifled. It doesn't appear in perfect sentences of beautiful prose right out of the mind. You have to coax creativity out. Let her explore the idea and throw out whatever comes to her. With creativity, you have to be the good cop. Let her roam and play. Let her say whatever she wants to. After that unspoken force has said all it can, bid her goodbye and tell the good cop they can go to. For editing, you use the bad cop. Now you can be ruthless. Cut the redundant sentences, eliminate the fat. Separate yourself from that creative force. She's not perfect. It's your job to make sure that only the good parts remain. After a few sessions, I won't seem as crazy as I do now, and your work will improve. If you try to control the unspoken force, it'll be hard to fill the page. If you can't level with yourself and cut what doesn't work, you won't improve. It's a delicate tightrope walk that takes bravery and practice, one I still haven't mastered yet. Parting words. My wellness goal for the year are almost all internal positioning myself to be ready for success. A calm mind, two cops, and a healthy dose of gratitude. I'm putting it out into the universe that I'm not working any more jobs. Time is our only finite resource, and I can't allow myself to waste another second doing something I don't like. I never had a backup plan. I felt like if I had a backup plan, it was like saying to the universe that I didn't believe in myself. Kali Uchis. It's terrifying to take away your backup plan, but I don't want to give myself a safety net. To feel good inside, I have eliminated outside factors that are bringing me stress. I noticed that my job was a dark cloud over me, a constant reminder that I wasn't doing what I wanted to. I'm jumping off the cliff because the adventure is so much more fun than never trying. That was Why I'm Never Working a 9-to-5 Job Again by R.J. Wade. When I sat down with R.J., she told me what exactly that switch from corporate to creative has looked like and what she's looking forward to. Important question when you're not writing, because much as we would love to, we can't all write all the time. What are you doing? I like to draw as well. I find that it's a little bit looser of a creative discipline. You don't have to really like wordsmith anything and it can be a little bit more free flowing. I still love movies and music. I like to take walks. I like to go out to eat. I like to play sports or watch sports. I think you have a cool Instagram account, if I'm not mistaken, which is called Writer Who Draws and you share some of your artwork on there. Do you find that these two media complement each other? How do they fit together for you, drawing and writing? 
I do find that they complement each other, but I feel like my art is very free form and kind of, well, what I consider to be not sloppy, but it's not technical because I, I don't have like an artist background. I didn't go to art school or anything like that. So for my writing, I feel like I've spent so, so long like refining how I write and what I say and how my voice is portrayed. And so that comes across a lot more technical and a little bit more rigid for me. And then my drawing is a lot more free form. I feel like it's a very different vibe. So I honestly try to keep them a little bit separate. I don't draw drawings for my articles, but they're both very, very close to my heart, but I feel like I use different parts of my brain. Now, I'd love you to tell me a little bit about yourself. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Oklahoma City with my mom and two siblings. She wasn't very creative, but it took me a while to find my footing. She's a big lover of music and movies, and that inspired me a lot to get into the creative works. And then once I finally learned how to read at eight years old, I really started to dive into writing and words and find a love for potentially writing down the road. When you first got started in writing, maybe you don't remember the first thing that you ever wrote, but what was the first thing you wrote that was significant to you where you thought, oh, I like doing this? I started out writing poetry. I wrote one about fear, the emotion, and I related it to several different things, a bear, stuff like that, darkness. And then my other poem that I wrote was about a girl running through a forest in the sunlight. I think even as a little kid, I was trying to capture the emotions that we all deal with in, in a way that isn't overtly just saying like, here is this, but what is fear feel like? What does being in the sun, what does happiness feel like? warmth. So really, the way that I think about it when I'm writing is almost as an act of translation, that you have these sensations and you need to translate them to the page for the reader so they can feel them too, whether it's that sunshine, that warmth, or anything like that. Did you fall in love with writing right away, or was it a slower burn? No, it was right away and it was full blown and passionate. When I would come home from elementary school, I would sit at the dining room table and just feverishly write on my notebook with a pen, just because the stories almost felt like they were just like begging to come out. Like I could not, I would think about in class, like, oh, I'm so, so excited to go home and write the story that I just thought about. And through reading, a lot of my ideas would pop up from being inspired from certain artists. And so it was very, very, very passionate and very immediate. And as I've grown older, it's gotten a little bit less passionate. I'm out of the honeymoon phase with writing, but it's still a very visceral experience for me. I think perhaps, again, for me, that honeymoon phase fades a little bit because you realize that your commitment to it means it's hard work. You want to refine it. You want to make it the best that it can be. So it isn't just that youthful kind of putting it all out there on the page. You know there's stuff to do once that's done. Right. I remember I used to just like word vomit all over the page. And, you know, I was nine or 10 years old, but one time I showed my dad a story and he was like, well, have you ever thought about using a comma? And I was like, oh, how dare you? I am writing a masterpiece here. You know where the commas go. But you know, as you go older, you realize the value of sentence structure. In your terrific piece for vocal, 
You write that you had a sort of cycle of writing and then returning to full-time work. You would grow frustrated. Then you'd go back to writing. What do you think it was that kept you in that cycle? I think that it's being in a very capitalist society where it was kind of a necessity for me to make money to survive. I didn't want to be in a situation where I'd have to sacrifice a lot of my quality of life in order to just be a writer. And it's no secret that writing is hard to make an income, a sustainable income, I should say. And so I would try and try, and then eventually I would become disheartened and go back to work. And then I would realize that I was miserable and it would force me to quit. And then I would try again. And then it was just like a never ending cycle where I didn't really know how to escape, but I knew that I had to eventually. I knew that I couldn't sustain working a full-time job in the circumstances that I was. I want to ask you a little bit about those nine to five jobs that you've left behind. You write about being sent over the edge. I wonder if you can tell me what that looks like for you. So I worked pretty much every job that you can think of. I did fast food, I did sales, I did retail, I did clerical, I did community outreach stuff. And none of it really felt like it was clicking. I didn't feel like my talents were being used. I didn't feel like I was growing. But my last job, I had a supervisor that was particularly adept at putting you down and then picking you up just enough for you to continue. And it got to a point where I started to question myself. I started to question my own value. I didn't know which way to go, what was right, what was wrong. And so I had to step away. And I I really do think it was one of the best decisions. There's a moment, and we've all had these, where it is a little bit like a revelation. You know what you have to do. Tell us about that moment. It was terrifying because I still had those fears in the back of my mind. I didn't know if I would be able to make an income. I didn't know if I would be able to sustain myself as a writer, as a creative in general. But I think that COVID in particular helped me see that you don't have to be in a physical location. And a lot of people make remote work work. I knew that although it was going to be scary and it was definitely going to be a challenge, I could not stay somewhere where I was literally miserable. Like I couldn't eat. I was getting headaches. My body was super tense, just very, very physical sensations. And when I finally made the decision, it was just like, okay, I'm done. It was one of the most liberating experiences of my life. It was very scary, but also very rewarding. Did you make a plan in that moment? Did you think how you were going to structure your creative life? I was kind of developing an extra strategy as I went. You know, I think a lot of people, when they think like quit your nine to five and start doing creative work, they think of it maybe as an immediate process. But I made sure that I had at least six months of expenses saved up before I made that decision. And I do think that that's a good idea, no matter what field of work that you're in, just to have a little nest egg to get you started. Because if you haven't been laying the groundwork in your side hustle or your creative endeavor, it's going to be a very hard to get something going. It's very much a momentum field, I feel like. Creativity and practicality can go hand in hand. This is your words. I'm quoting back at you. You made the decision to eliminate what makes me feel small. Tell me what that's meant outside of leaving behind a traditional work schedule. How do you how do, you do that on a, on a day-to-day basis? And what does the process feel like? It's a good question. In my life, how that personally related to me is 
when I'm free to express myself creatively or otherwise, I feel very expansive and almost limitless. I feel like anything is possible and anything is achievable. But when I'm put in a box, that's my week is set out for me. I know exactly what's expected of me. I start to feel very constricted and it makes me very anxious and very depressed. And I start to feel like my most finite resource time is being wasted. And there's no feeling I hate more than feeling like my time is being wasted. And in other ways, it could just be a relationship. It could be a parent. It could be a coworker. It could be a peer. It could be anyone who's making you feel small. But I think we all can relate to that feeling and can realize places in our life where people just, they may need to go so that you can become your true self and get a little bit more expansive. What's been easy to leave behind and what's been more difficult? I would say leaving the actual job was very easy. I have definitely quit my fair share of jobs and that feeling when you're walking out and you know you're walking out for the very last time, it's easy. You don't have to think about anything. You're not thinking about rent being due the next month. You're just like, ah, but tomorrow I do not have to get up and come here. But what's hard is I feel like personal areas of my life, for example, like my relationship with my father, I recently cut that relationship off and that was very, very hard for me One, because he deals with substance abuse and I felt like cutting that relationship off was me not doing everything that I could to help him get help. But also, you're walking away from a relationship with your father who is still alive. And I know that a lot of people struggle losing their fathers and I didn't want to cut that relationship off and feel like I was leaving something behind. But you have to realize that if something isn't feeding you, if something isn't helping you grow or at least being conducive to a growing environment... You have to let it go. You're a founding member of Vocal, and we really value your regular contributions to the platform. In talking about some of the difficult experiences you've just been discussing, you write, the antidote is gratitude, being thankful for what I have and where I'm at. I need to trust the process. What does it look like to trust the process? When I started, it was pretty much you post an article and it goes on the front page or it doesn't and best of luck. And I remember getting to my first hundred reads. I remember getting to my first thousand reads and that sensation is amazing, but it's so fleeting. So then I'm like, where's my 10,000 reads? Where's my 20,000 reads? Where's my hundred thousand reads? But Trusting the process just means allowing things to unfold, trusting that I am building momentum, trusting that I am pushing the ball down the hill, rolling the snowball in the snow, however you'd like to describe it. Just knowing that things will come as long as I'm consistent. I like stoic philosophy a lot. And one of the philosophers mentions that you need to be thankful for what you have now because it was once one of the things that you wanted. And I think that that's very relatable. And I try to remember that where I am now is once a place that I dreamed about. And so I really, really try and stay grounded in that and trust that everything else will come as long as I'm still doing my best work and being patient and consistent. Do you have any tips, I guess I'd say, or pointers for our listeners so that they can practice that kind of trust? I really, really am a big proponent in just getting something on the page, looking at it, because there is bound to be something positive in the mix, even if it's only one sentence, even if it's only one word. And it really gives me a place to start from. And often I'll just write down my first draft and it's very analytical. It's very just step-by-step or 
research-based. And then I'll go through and I can rewrite certain sentences that sound more artistic than before. So if someone is struggling with trusting themselves and trusting the process, I do think that writing down in a journal or something like that, doing writing practice 10 minutes a day or so can just help you get in tune with your voice and maybe what you do really want to say that you're possibly ignoring because you're worried about being perfect. In the days when I was teaching, one of the things I would say to my students was that if you write something and you don't like it, you have more information. You know you want to do something different from that. So that's great. You have another path to walk down. It's not something that you have to see as negative. You know, it's an opening of another opportunity. So you have committed to life as a creative. How has that creative life been going? You say that you've got to coax creativity out, right? What does that mean for you? I'm a really big fan of meditation. I feel like just getting a little bit of blank space in the mind is very, very important to have any kind of creative success. I cannot think when there's no blank space on my schedule. I cannot form a sentence. I I, I feel very drowned almost by my thoughts, but I really like to take a walk too. All of my creative tricks are about decompressing and finding a way to slow down because I really do feel like that's the best time to produce is when you're in a relaxed state, when you're not really thinking about too much and when you're able to have a little bit of space to be creative. As far as how it's been being a creative for a year now, it waxes and wanes, you know, it's not a consistent paycheck every two weeks. So it is kind of hard to adjust and figure out your budget and figure out your new way of living. Sometimes there's a lot, I feel like, you know, sometimes your project comes up and you're getting paid and you're like, okay, this is awesome. And then, you know, other times there's a slow month and you're like, oh, I don't know about this, but I haven't ever been in a situation where I have to go back and get another job. And so I count that as a success. And it's been very, very rewarding to know that what I make now is on my own terms and I don't have to succumb to things that make me feel small. If you are working a nine to five that you really enjoy, there's nothing wrong with that. We wouldn't be here if people weren't working nine to fives. And so I'm very appreciative and I wouldn't want anyone to feel like I am putting down those people. It just wasn't for me. I can't operate in a very rigid structure like that, but I do respect and value those people. So I just want to make sure that no one feels slighted by my comments. I think that's a great thing to say. And what we believe in on Vocal is everyone finding their own creative path. And RJ, you have demonstrated today a really fascinating one. And it's marvelous to hear your thoughts and your reflections about it. So I thank you so much for being a guest on our podcast. The choice to rely so completely on your own creative efforts is an incredibly brave one, and one that's clearly well-founded in RJ's case. Next time, on Right Here, Right Now, we'll get a heartfelt look into a relationship between mother and son. That will be Jay Delaney Howe's Phone Calls with Mom. Whoever you are, whatever your story, Vocal belongs to you. If you like the show, Come be a part of where it all got started. Join me and the rest of our brilliant creators on vocal.media, where you can post, read, and comment. If you like what you hear, join us for season two of Right Here, Right Now, when we dive into stories from the Vocal Plus Fiction Anthology, 
And of course, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to Right Here, Right Now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Erica Wagner. Thanks for listening. Right Here, Right Now is produced by Vocal in partnership with Pod People. Special thanks to our production team, Jacob Fromer and Andrew Hurwitz, and the team at Pod People. Rachel King, Matt Sav, Amy Machado, Ashton Carter, Rebecca Chasson, Carter Wogan, and Morgan Foose.